And so this has been a series uh, centered around certain lies or like in the video, certain exaggerations, whether they be good or bad about marriage and relationships and how important it is to expose lies for what they are as being untrue so that we can have more healthy marriages and relationships. And as most of you know, we were going to just look at four lies. It was going to be a four-week series, and it was supposed to have ended um, last weekend. Um, But over the span of this series, uh, a number of people of our congregation, both married and singles, had suggested that it would be good for us to take a week um, to address what God has to say for people who— are not married. And one of the things that I, I kind of shared with them, or at least reminded them about, was that the reality is, is the first four weeks of this series, most of what we talked about and most of what we looked at as far as application, to be quite honest, applies to almost every healthy relationship you have, not just to your marriage relationship. But at the same time, I totally understand how there's maybe some other things that we can talk about and some other scriptures we can look at when it comes to specifically the topic that I've never preached on before, which is this, being single. That's what we're going to talk about today. And if you're someone who here is here and isn't single, if you're married— Do not leave. Don't get up and leave because there is going to be some good application for you as well as you consider what a healthy life perspective and marriage relationship looks like as well. But the thing that I recognize single people is this, that a lot of our identity, or at least a part of it in our culture, tends to center around a person's relationship status. And the truth of the matter is, as we get older and are single, and there are more people around us our age who are either married or um, going to get married and all that stuff, that this topic, which at one time wasn't that big of a deal, that being single, eventually becomes more of a frustration, more on our hearts, more in our prayers, and something that, quite honestly, a lot of us who are single, begin to worry about. And so the truth of the matter is, is that if you're single, the reminders of it are everywhere. Uh, I've never thought about this because I've been married for a while, but even just something like filling out your taxes, where you have to declare your status, could be, if someone's in the wrong place emotionally be a difficult thing. It's, oh, just another reminder that I'm not married. Or how about family gatherings? You know, any of you have like an Uncle Frank or a grandma who comes over to you, single people, and gives you a fist bump or a hug and says, oh, it's so great to see you. Man, you're growing up. You're, you're growing up so fast. You're, how old are you now? 30? Yeah, 30 years old. Yeah. Man, you know, when are you going to get a girl to settle down with? Or when are you going to get a, a, a guy to have a family with? And, you know, you hopefully don't say it, but you're thinking, I don't know, Uncle Frank, when are you going to get a brain and not ask me these questions? You know, I'm sick of these types of questions type of thing. You know, actually— This is something that I would have never really thought about 
until a few years ago when some of our single adults mentioned it to me, that even coming to church for singles can be at times melancholy. Because if you look around, most of the people, at least at this church, which is reflective of our community, is made up of married people and families. And so my point is this. This is a difficult topic. And for those of you who are single, I don't want you to get the idea that once we're done today, then all of a sudden the tension over being single is going to totally go away. But what I can tell you is that I think after we're done, you're going to have a better perspective on what could be and maybe a reminder of where your heart needs to be. Because it is so easy for us who are not married, and I, I say us because I'm married, so that didn't make sense, but for people who are not married to believe this lie, this is the lie that we're going to tackle, that I'm missing out on the good life because I'm single. Now, like all of the lies in this series, there's probably very few of you who would say that you would ever say this exactly the way I wrote it or believe this exactly the way it's written, but I almost guarantee that there is a little bit of truth in what you've thought about in regards to something like this, that I am in some way, my life is not as happy or as good or as fulfilled or as complete as it could be because I'm single and it would be so much better if I were married. So, married people, as we dig into this topic, I want you to know that sometimes it is good for us to be reminded of what we're going to be talking about today, and here's why. Because our tendency is to go back to the lie of week one and to find our completion, our sense of self-worth, our primary sense of satisfaction in our marriages or in our families. And if we do that, remember week one, 30-pound weight on a plastic little box? If we do that, we're going to crush our marriage with unrealistic expectations and we're going to crush our spouse because he or she is not going to be able to meet the emotional needs that you've been putting on him or on her. And so this message is going to help you have a healthier perspective on your marriage as well. So as we get going here, I want to start by just talking about life in general. I think so often we get caught up in the details of what needs to get done today that we forget about that there's a bigger picture. If you forget about the bigger picture at work, there's going to be problems, and you're not going to be as good of a leader or a worker as you could be. There are details each day, but how you address those details are governed by the bigger picture, the vision of where you're going. The same is true with the Christian life as well. So where are we going? What's the bigger picture? Well, Paul, a first century pastor, wrote about that in a verse, and he started out this way. He starts here, Jesus died for all. Now, that's the starting point 
to the life of a Christian. The death and resurrection of Christ is the center and the starting point of all that it means to be a Christian and of our hope and our joy and our peace and even our purpose. I don't know how you feel about God, but I'm sure there are times where you felt that either he doesn't know exactly what you need or he's mean and doesn't give, it what, give you what you think you need. But the truth about God is this, is that he is infinitely powerful and infinitely wise. And at the same time, the God of the Bible, the God we believe in, the true God is also infinitely loving. He is filled with grace. And the way that we can most ultimately know that is just to think about who we are on our own. We talked early in the services about, about not being able to keep promises that we make. Isn't that so true? We make New Year's resolutions. How are those going now? I mean, we had a whole habit series, right? How are those going? Got habits? Um, we make promises to our families. So many things, so many ways that we fail. And God could have given us punishment for that. We rightly deserved God to be angry with us. Uh, Bill Cosby once said, as a father, I brought you into this world. I can take you out, right? And some of you dads probably said that to your kids too, right? That is what God could have done, and he would have been right. But in his infinite grace, he decided to give us a rescue plan. that we might have hope that our sins would not need to drag us down. And so his son came and he died for you. And he rose again. That while the details of life sometimes may not be exactly what we're looking for, that the bigger picture is that we have a hope in heaven waiting for us and a family of believers that we get to spend eternity with. Jesus died for all that, or so that, those who live should no longer live for themselves, but instead we live for him who died for them and was raised again. If we don't take time to pause in life, do you know what the default of our sinful nature is? The yellow words. I 100% guarantee that if we don't take time to think about what Jesus has done for us, Jesus died for all, that eventually, slowly but surely, your life and mine will be led with this in mind, that we will eventually begin living for ourselves our pleasure, our success, our earthly lives. And I'm including your immediate family in this too, because you might say, no, I don't do that. I live for my family. Same thing in this context. It's either God or this world as your primary person that you live for. And what God says is, what Paul writes is, Jesus gave you the greatest gift, and now the vision changes. We no longer live 
ultimately for ourselves. We live for him who died for us and was raised again. So what does that mean? How do you do that? I mean, that's a whole sermon series, right? But here's one verse that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. He writes, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, things as simple as eating or drinking, do it all for the glory of God. Literally, do it in a way to make his name great. Go to school in a way that glorifies God. Go to work in a way that praises God's name and makes him a big deal. So here's the application for this. We all need to quit our jobs. Go live at church. We got room now. We'll pray together, hold hands together. And Danny will lead us in singing 24-7, all right, till Jesus returns. Because we need to do it all to the glory of God. I think sometimes we get this mistaken notion that it's either become a monk or I can't do this. What a lie. So what does it look like? I was trying to wrestle with that. How do I share this? Maybe this will help. A few years ago, um, the Lakeville North boys basketball team won the state championship. And that year or the year before, one of the two, one of their classmates named Alyssa died in a car crash. For the rest of that season and the next, what did they do? They wore blue socks, even though the school colors are red and white, because Alyssa's favorite color was blue. And every day, they went to practice and they lived and practiced in a way to remember Alyssa. And they went on their state tournament run and they did it not to the glory of Alyssa, but with Alyssa in mind. We don't need to all become monks and work at church. We couldn't afford everyone anyway. But that's what it looks like. And if you need to write something on your shoes or write it on your hand or maybe better yet, get up in the morning and say a prayer that reminds you that even though you're going to a place you don't love for work or even though you're going to a school that's really hard or even though you're in a life situation whether you love it or hate it, whether you're single or married, I'm going to get up today and whether I eat or whether I drink, I am going to do it for the glory of God. And if you need to wear blue socks, wear blue socks. If you need to get a tattoo, make it small where no one can see it. (laughs) But whatever you do, Do it all for the glory of God. That's our purpose, guys. There's nothing greater. There's nothing more important. Why? Because he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Single people, listen. Here's the thing. It's our first point for today and our second fill-in. You don't have to wait till you're married to live out your life's purpose. It has nothing to do with your relationship status. You can live out your purpose right now, today, tomorrow, even while you're praying for a spouse or a steady girlfriend or a steady boyfriend or whatever it might be. You do not need to wait until you're married because while marriage is a gift and children are a blessing from God, they are not our life's purpose. 
our life's purpose is no matter what situation you're in, that we give glory to God. Now, here is the thing. The Bible talks about marriage being a blessing and children also being blessings. But in the section that Paul writes, who by the way was a bachelor, he was unmarried, in 1 Corinthians, he writes actually, and just stick with me, he writes about how, in fact, there are certain reasons not to get married. That in fact, that being single provides advantages that married people like me and some of you don't get to enjoy. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 7. How's that for a segue? Paul writes, I wish that all of you were as I am. In context, single and ready to mingle. But, <laughs> I didn't say that at first service, and this one's videotaped. So anyway, <laughs> but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, being single. One has that, being married. Now, to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Now, pause. See this word here, gift? Paul is saying that being single is a gift. And this isn't like just a, a little stocking stuffer gift. Okay? So the word gift there is from the Greek root charis, which that's the word for grace in English and means big gift. <laughs> means a gift of undeserved love. It's the gift that you're given that you don't deserve. That's how Paul writes about being single. And you're thinking, does it come with a gift receipt? Because <laughs> if this is such a great gift, I don't know if God really knows what he's talking about. Can you trust God in giving gifts? made me think of a Christmas when I was a kid. So the way it worked at my house growing up is that um, my parents had a, a budget for each child. It was the same budget for each child. And you could get or ask for, you didn't know what you're going to get, but you could ask for gifts and they would get you as many gifts as they could under that budget. And so if you wanted something really big, you might get one gift. If you wanted a bunch of little things, you might get 10, right? So when I was 10 or 12 years old, we're talking about like the late 80s, early 90s here, um, I had my, my list for Christmas and it probably had stuff on it like a pullover starter jacket, you know, something like that with that little Velcro thing here. I bet that was on it. And then um, probably some new Atari game or Nintendo, one or the other, Jungle Hunt, Joust, any fans here? Those are two of my favorite Atari games, Justin. Um, and, uh, and so I'm opening gifts, I'm about 10 or 12, and I open up one of the gifts, and it's a socket and wrench set. And I act like I am thankful, but I didn't act well enough because while I didn't mind getting a socket and wrench set, my first thought was, there goes the budget. 
I'm going to get far less of what I really wanted because of sock, this stinking socket and wrench set, okay? And sure enough, I did get less because they had to stick to the budget and all of that stuff, okay? So that was like 30 years ago. I don't have any of my Christmas gifts left anymore. They're all gone. I don't know what happened to them. Except one. This is the socket and wrench set that my parents gave me 30 years ago that I still use, that I put tape on today because a little claspy thing, plastic, broke. And I think about my parents, and I think back to that, and you know what I learned? They know how to give good gifts. And I would have never asked for this. I didn't even like it when I was given it. But I look back, and my parents knew how to give good gifts. Your Heavenly Father knows how to give good gifts. Let me tell you something. Next slide. Being single is hard. There's no bones about it. Depending on your age, you go home at night or to the apartment and you might be by yourself. It's a hard thing. We're not trying to minimize that today. But let me tell you something. Being married is hard. And there's certain challenges and struggles that come with that close relationship that single people, I'll say it this way, are spared of and from. The point is, in this world, we will have trouble. But Christ has helped us overcome the world. And so whatever your relationship status is today, I hope that you really believe our second point for this message and our third fill-in. Trust that God knows how to give good gifts. Because he does. And the worst thing we could do is to waste years or months or days whether it's our relationship status or whether it's our job or whether it's our neighborhood or whatever it is, complaining and feeling like life is less than fulfilled because I don't have this or I'm not married to him or I'm all by myself or I'd really like to do this. Yes, go after those things. I'm not telling you to stop praying for a spouse or aspiring to a new job. Do those things. But in the meantime, trust That God gives good gifts right now and not just when you get what you want. And so Paul goes on to explain a little bit more about what the advantage is of being single. And he spends like 30 chapters talking about this. We're going to fast forward to verse 32 where he writes this. I would like you, still talking to single people, to be free from concern. So if you read the whole chapter, you see that there was some sort of um, difficulty going on in Corinth. Some think it might have been a a famine. Um, Others think that it might have just been the 
deep persecution that Christians were under in the, the Roman Empire, but that there was something bad going on that Paul is saying, if you're single, stay single because when you're married, you have more concerns, especially at a time like this. You got to think of your wife or your husband. You got to think about your family or your children. So I would like you to be free from concern. Stay single. And then he goes on with application. That makes a whole lot of sense. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. Isn't that 1 Corinthians 10 31? Give glory to God in all you do. And so that's true for an unmarried man. It continues. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world and how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. And, and this was the point where I was going to make a whole bunch of jokes about how guys were so oppressed by our wives that we have to please them all the time. And, you know, we'll just talk about that some other time, guys, just by ourselves, okay? Um, wink, wink. But the reality is, is that this is true. And I want you to know that Paul's not pointing out a sin here. He's not saying that now that you're married and your interests are divided, that in some way you're sinning. That could happen if our spouse or our marriage becomes more important to God. But he's talking just on a base level. That our main purpose in life is to please and serve God. But when you're married, there is someone else that's really, really important in your life. You've one fleshed with them as you got married. And your interests are going to be divided. There is more to think about. It's complicated. It gets harder. He continues. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted in the Lord in both body and spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 10.31. Do everything to the glory of God. But a, a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. And so, verse 35, her interests are divided. Her interests are divided. Again, not a sin thing, just a thing thing, right? It's just the reality that when you get married, there is Maybe not more to think about, but you have less control over what you want to think about, if that makes sense. So I want you to get, get a little, you know, clue single people into um, your Sunday morning um, versus a married person's Sunday morning. So your Sunday morning, and this is if you get up when the alarm clock goes off, is you get up and you eat breakfast and then you get dressed and then, you know, depending on when you leave, you have enough time to stop at Starbucks and grab a coffee. And you come and you're looking nice because you've had time to do your hair and there's no one to argue with. Okay, a married family's Sunday morning. We got to get here by 9 or 10.30. And we got to look like we're a happy family because this is a Christian place, right? And so we struggle. 
um, get up. And this doesn't end at two years old. Like sometimes two-year-olds are up way early and then you get to teenage years and it's like, yes, you are going to church. And there's no, I'm not arguing. And yes, you should have got home earlier last night because you know the rule. We're going to, okay, that's just single people. That's just getting them up, okay? And then there's the eating and the feeding and the getting people dressed. And you think we're just talking about little kids here. Um, It's a different type. I don't need to dress my teenagers, but I might need to tell them to redress themselves. Okay, so there's, there's that, all right? And then we get here 10 minutes late or whatever it might be. And um, we're praying that our two-year-old doesn't have a meltdown when you take them to fusion. And then once they're finally there, we walk into the lobby, and there you are, sipping on your Starbucks, smiling, (laughs) wondering why you look so stressed out. (laughs) Okay? And I love it, and I wouldn't change it for the world. And most of the time, that's because I'm not there on Sunday morning, and my wife does it. But the truth of the matter is that when we're married— Your interests are divided, and we wouldn't trade it. But to think that it's just great all the time, it's not true. For you, single people, like I said, like, I'm not saying that you're less busy than us, but what I would say is you have more control over your busyness. And so here's my encouragement for you to think about is this application. How can I use the gift of singleness where I have a little more control over what I want to do or what I don't want to do than when you're married or when you have kids? Like, I have no control over my evenings during basketball season. I just know what I'm doing every single night. No control, okay? How can I use the gift of singleness to God's glory? How can I use the gift of, God's, of singleness to God's glory? Because here's the thing. You are single for a season. And I pray, if it's your prayer, that it doesn't last long. I pray that it's short. I prayed for you single people this week as I was preparing for this message. I will continue to. I don't know what's on your heart, but if you're praying for a spouse, that was my prayer for you this week. You're single for a season, but... Be single with a reason. Be single for a reason. To give glory to God. And there's three things that I want to talk about quick in application. The first is this. As you think about how to glorify God, I think the first thing you'd want to think about single people is how can you glorify God in what you do? In what you do. How you schedule your time. And and married people, this, we have less time, right? But This is still a good question for us, okay? We spend far too much time and effort and brain power towards things that don't make an eternal difference. We need to budget time for being about things that make a difference for eternity. And it doesn't mean you have to join a committee at church. It means, what about that neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, and what could you do this week to love on them as a reflection of the love that Christ already showed you? There is so many things. Now, one of the things you married people don't know is this, that 
probably some of the most faithful and what I would say people we can count on volunteering at Bethlehem are single people. The amount of time they give per person far surpasses married people. I think of people like Justin and Cindy and Cody and Lisa and on and on and on. I think of people that I knew when they were single and how they gave so much time because they chose how to be busy and they wanted to make an impact. And then, yes, things change a little bit and like, uh, you sure you want to get married? Because I really need you. Because <laughs> it's all about me. But it changed, and yet it was neat to see the opportunities, single people, you have to control your schedule more, to be about a mission trip that comes up all of a sudden. But you will never take advantage of it if you don't think about this. How can I give glory to God in my singleness with what I do? Uh, Another way is how you can give glory to God, single people, is who you date. Dads, you're going to love this, all right, for your daughters and sons, right? I am um, of the mindset more than ever that even before looking for a spouse, but especially when you're looking for a spouse, it is wise not to date someone who does not believe in Jesus. Do not even take a chance to become emotionally attached to someone who doesn't know Jesus because— it is very difficult to live to the glory of God being married to a Christian. It's infinitely harder when you're not. In fact, there are really two results that I think is going to happen to every Christian who marries a non-Christian. This is if she doesn't or he doesn't come to faith. But you will eventually feel alone because the way you make decisions— the way you think about the world, the way you want to use your Sunday morning, the way you want to raise your children, the way you want to live your life is all based on what? On what Christ has done for you. But if your spouse does not hold that same worldview, you're going to eventually feel isolated from them and feel alone. Or, if that's not the case, you will eventually compromise your faith for the sake of unity in the marriage, for the sake of let's stop arguing about this, you will eventually be forced to compromise that which you hold tight into your heart. What you do, who you date, and this could be an entire series on its own, how you date. God loved you so much, body and soul, that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And when he set up the plan for marriage and sex and sexuality, he designed it for marriage because he loved you so much. And I know you're not going to hear this on Facebook, and I know you're not going to hear this at school, and I know you're not going to hear this at work. But, When we give of ourselves sexually before we're married, we give a part of ourselves to that person that we'll never get back. And yes, it's forgiven. 
And yes, God can give us strength. But you know what's better? What's better is if your relationship status today is single, to think about from this day forward, how do I glorify God and how I date and what I do and what I don't do? So in wrap up, I've taken too much time already, but I don't think single people that all of a sudden when you leave today that you're never going to lament being single again. It's a difficult topic. It's one that sits on hearts a lot. But let us dare not waste today, no matter your relationship status. And that in fact, sometimes we may think too much of marriage. You know, marriage really is just a little shadow of a greater relationship that God wanted us to see just a little glimpse of, of how the bridegroom Jesus gave of himself fully and completely to us, his church, and how we have this relationship with him to look forward to forever. And so if you're married, be married to the glory of God. If you're single, be single to the glory of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that this message touches people's hearts in different ways. There's a lot there. And dear Lord, um, for those of you, or for those in this room who are single, um, we just hold them up in prayer. I don't know how they're individually feeling today. It's probably all over the board. Um, But may they leave today, strengthen and encourage with the knowledge that you give good gifts to your children and they can trust you. And until that which they ask for is given— And even if it's not, it doesn't reflect at all on your love for them. But in fact, you give each of us that which you know we need. That end, Lord, we pray for your presence and blessing as we live to your glory. Amen. Amen.